All right. What's up, friends? My name is John Chafee. I was trained as a pastor, and I'm trying to do something good with that said education. Now, here's what I need to let you know. I was trained as a pastor, but I don't always feel like a pastor because sometimes I feel too academic, too theological. But I also don't necessarily feel like I'm an, just an academic, just a theologian. So I, rather than try to be a pastor or a theologian, I try to settle into this sweet spot between, which is, guess what, just called a pastoral theologian. <laughs> so anyways, I heard this term a number of months ago, and I was like, oh, that's it. That's what I am. That's what I enjoy. So today, this episode is brought to you by a series of conversations that I had over the past week and a half, two weeks, and it falls perfectly under that umbrella of being a pastoral theologian. Now, before we get into it, let me uh, do something that I never do. Uh, if you've been enjoying these, it would actually really help me out if you went to iTunes and gave it a star or a review of some sort. If you think it's worth one star, give it one star. If you think this is a pretty low-grade podcast, if you think it's medium, give it three or five or whatever. But um, I realized I've actually been doing this for almost five years. <laughs> uh. And I do like an episode every other week or so. And so it's about 25, about a year. And yeah, I just thought, you know what? Maybe for the first time in five years, I'll actually ask for some input and some in the form of a review on iTunes. And of course, if you listen on Spotify, that's fine too. But let's get into this, shall we? I um, have been really fascinated by conversations I've had recently. Okay, so let me let me rewind. Here's what happened. So about two weeks ago, I was leading a, a Zoom study on this famous book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Pete Scazzaro. You probably have heard of it. Maybe I've mentioned it before. I don't remember. But one of the chapters highlights when we go through hard seasons called uh, Journey Through the Wall. And the wall is really a reference to what is expounded upon in the chapter as the dark night of the soul by St. John of the Cross in the 1500s, who I know I've spoken a lot about. But the dark night of the soul was such a, it was such a fascinating conversation because there were people in this meeting that said, my goodness, this whole time I thought I wasn't being a good Christian because I don't care about sermons or Bible studies or listening to music doesn't mean the same thing to me. Hymns are dry, like all of this. And said, you just said that I'm not actually going backwards in faith. I'm actually going forwards. I'm actually maturing. I said, yeah, that's part of this paradox. The benefits or the, the sweetness that we get from those things disappears. Because the divine wants us to turn to the divine, not to the sensations that feel good when we do those things that I just mentioned, like prayer or hymns or worship songs or Bible studies, all of those things. 
right? So then fast forward, we get to the end of our little meeting and we're about to wrap it up. And then some of the people attending said, wow, this is kind of rebellious. Like, what do you mean? Well, we don't ever talk about these things in church, the dark night of the soul, doubt, darkness, depression, divorce, uh, all of these things, which surprisingly all start with the letter D, right? Like depression. Anyways, I said, yeah. And to me, it feels as though these are overlooked things. Yes, it's important to talk about the quote light side of life, but in, in order to do that, sometimes you do have to at least acknowledge or give witness to the dark things of life, obviously, right? So the meeting wrapped up and then over the next couple of days after that, I had a number of conversations with people. They're like, why don't we talk about these things more? And I thought, you know, there seems to be a stirring or a rumbling about this type of thing being overlooked in church circles. So on Facebook, I put up the question and I have it here for myself. I'm not going to share uh, names but I put up a post with a simple question and it goes something like this. Mm, there we go. I wrote, uh, I'm looking for as much feedback as possible. So have at it y'all. I'll try to ask in a way without bias. Question is, should churches address emotional health, defense mechanisms, addictions, family systems, trauma, depression, habit formation, shame, anger, fear, you might notice Enneagram in that, self-harm, the need for approval, etc. I'm looking, I'm honestly looking for as many answers as possible. Ready, go. <laughs> and by the end of the week, it had 146 comments, which isn't bad. I mean, that's great, but I was maybe hoping to get 70 and we got double that. But one thing that was fascinating is that they were almost overwhelmingly in favor of it, of talking about that list of things. So what was really interesting to me was that there are sometimes very strong opinions about what should or should not be said either in Bible studies or uh, in classrooms in the pulpit, like all of these things, it's almost as though there's kind of, this is our turf, that's not our turf, that's their turf. And so sometimes it feels as though there's a turf war going on. We don't talk about those things. Those people over there talk about those things. Well, I'll be honest, I was expecting to have far more people say that they were against it. And I tried to ask the question without bias, but I, I think there was really only two out of 146 comments that were against it, that were against spiritual communities talking about those things. It was almost as though overwhelmingly people said yes. Now, I'm just going to read a few of my favorite comments, okay? But I won't share the names, but my goodness. One of my favorites was this uh, gentleman that I know who says, short answer, oh, yes. Long answer, 
Heck yes. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh, man. We've got answers such as, let me scroll through it. Yes, please talk about it more. Um, yes, we need to offer resources to help people get the healing that they need. Yes, refer to professionals when needed. Absolutely. Pastors without this psychological training attempt to do this work without said training. It can cause more harm than good. Absolutely. I absolutely agree. Yes, religion guides us through life, so why not bring them together? I have someone who's like a cousin. She said, absolutely. You know my answer. We have, oh man, I like this one. 100% yes, especially the way the world is today. People in the church and others looking into the church need that comfort of talking about those things. I feel a lot of times people feel defeated or leave the church because they weren't getting that raw, genuine, on-your-knees comfort that you're not alone with these reasons, with these things. Oh, man, that was so good. Address the issues, absolutely. <laughs> oh, man, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, yes, the church should talk about these things in such a way that it is supportive not looking to make a spiritual or biological diagnosis. Just talk about these things. Reduce the stigma against talking about these things. Oh, yeah. Oh, this was a great one. Yes, the church should seek not only to be a source of spiritual comfort for those working through these traumas, but should also be a place where they are freely talked about without stigma, shame, blame, or fear. The church should also work to destigmatize seeking professional therapists, psychiatrists, and pharmacological support. Too often, well-meaning Christians send the message that these issues can be overcome with just faith and prayer, which can be so hurtful to those doing the hard work of processing trauma with therapy and meds. That one got a lot of thumbs up a lot of likes that was a great comment now only a few people said no you shouldn't and then it seemed as though some of the comments kind of brought out some of the nuances and things but what's fascinating is that there were a lot of people that kind of said comments of yes but do it in an introductory way and work alongside professionals so pass people on to the people that have done the extensive training in that. I was like, that's absolutely true. I love it. Now, oh, this was another good one. Yes, absolutely. Satan, however you understand Satan, would love to isolate people with the thoughts that no one else has this or that problem. God is about bringing things into the light and community to carry one another's burdens. It wasn't until I was open and honest with a group of Christian men that I started to become free from addiction, depression, and anger. A former pastor of mine growing up said, No one who is untrained should pretend to be a health professional. So good. Clergy should refer to mental health professionals. Of course, we can do much to encourage wellness, though. Contemplative prayer, whole food, plant-based eating, meditation, yoga. Oh, man. I could really read through all of them because they are so 
good. Now, that brings me to some of the things I wanted to say is that what's when people tend to say a harsh no to these things, sometimes well-meaning, you know, they say that you should just talk about Jesus or the Jesus tradition, just go back and point back to the Bible, which is fine. It's not necessarily bad, but let's be honest. Christianity really shouldn't be understood as a religion in as much as a, mm, a movement or a mode of being in the world that's guided and inspired by the life of Jesus, of course. The Jesus path, the Jesus way, right? Be a little Christ in this world. Well, the Messiah in Jewish consciousness was going to bring about some form of restoration. They thought maybe political in some ways, but that idea carried over. And so the early church thought that Jesus was supposed to be the harbinger Harbinger, anyways, the bringer of healing. And so anything that we do to incorporate healing into our life or speak into the healing of other people's lives, that's wonderful. That's good. That's actually being quite Christic in one sense. You're being very Christ-like when you do that. Now, what's fascinating to me is that, like I mentioned before, there can be a turf war. There can be a sense of who is it that really does the healing? Is it the therapist or is it the pastor? And I want to say that I think that might be a false dichotomy. That might be a false separation. That might be an unnecessary turf war. Because just like how I said there is such a thing as pastors and theologians, and then there can be something in between, a pastoral theologian, which I feel like I'm starting to lean into more and more, the world may actually need people that are pastor therapists, people that know how to speak both of these vocabularies. And if they have the ability to be somewhat trained in both of them, wonderful. That's great. But that's just part of it is I have in my own life experience found that sometimes when I speak with particular groups of people or sometimes when I'm talking with adults that have been born and raised in the church and never experienced a whole lot of life outside of the church bubble, I've found that I almost have to use a certain quota, a certain number of Christian vocabulary for them to want to trust me. And so what I believe has happened is we've trained people how to recognize the vocabulary, but not recognize the ideas of what proper Jesus path spirituality is all about. People have been trained to listen for the vocabulary, to know if they're a part of their tribe or not. And so sometimes if I don't speak enough Christian vocabulary, I get this sense that people don't feel like I'm a part of their tribe. So that's fascinating. But when sometimes I or I hear other people use too much quote unquote psychological or therapeutic language, there are some Christians that really start to hold a, a arm's length to it because that's not our tribe. That's not us. You're starting to speak like someone who's not from us. And so there's, like I said, a turf war, but it's kind of like a tribal war. It's like, ah, oh, that's not that's not of us to talk like that. You you're you're speaking the wrong vocabulary, you're speaking the wrong terms, so clearly you're not one of us. Well, I actually think 
the church would benefit from using more and more of that said vocabulary. Because in the past 150 years, we've developed this vocabulary of trauma, of depression, rather than just saying the word melancholy. We've come to understand that there can be chemical imbalances that lead people to have certain hurts. We also recognize that you can be dealing with the after effects of a very harsh experience that happened to you 50 years earlier, and you're still acting as if in response to that wound that never got healed, this emotional wound. You could say it's a spiritual wound. And actually, in my worldview, everything is spiritual. It's just whether or not that thing over there is spiritually healing or spiritually diminishing, harming, you know? So I actually think that it would benefit people that are on the Jesus path to learn this vocabulary, to learn how to speak some of these ideas and concepts, not necessarily try to give professional diagnoses if they don't have the training, but you know, it might be helpful for us to learn how to talk with our neighbors to learn to talk with our kids about what happens when anxiety is building and then all of a sudden you have a panic attack. Because those types of things can't get healed just by praying about them. In fact, you might need medication, but also you might need to learn how to sit and settle through these things, to speak through them with people that you know will love you unconditionally, even if you announce the thing that you're most afraid of. So there's something very profound in that in order to actually heal, we have to look at the quote unquote dark stuff. And I love this idea that beneath every dragon, there's a pile of gold. And if you never confront your quote unquote dragon, then you'll never get the gold that sits beneath that dragon. And so how fascinating to go to church for 60, 70, 80 years of your life and never be encouraged or be shown the example of someone confronting their dragons to find the gold. It's almost as though we're saying there's gold out there, but let's try to find a way to get to it by never talking about the dragons that haunt us, that scare us, that seem life-threatening to us. I feel as though a lot of the wounds and the hurts and the traumas, which by the way, for me, uh, the working definition that I enjoy is from Dr. Deborah Hunsinger, who says, trauma is an event that overwhelms our capacity to endure it. So that can be kind of subjective, but it means what might be traumatic for you is was traumatic because it overwhelmed all of your inner resources and maybe external resources to cope with it. And so it left you with a lingering fear, wound, uh, habits to never be in that situation before that those habits can somewhat hold you back. Anyways, I feel as though these terms are really helpful tools to know how to speak about healing. Just like when you go to the dentist and you need to have a specific tool to maybe help clean out a particular part of the tooth, this specific vocabulary can actually help to do the necessary 
cutting away the necessary, I don't know, tools, the tool work that we need to do. Okay. Now, let's say, for instance, you're of the mindset, but th these are all things that are new. These don't come from the Bible. This is all more recent. This is modernity. This doesn't come from the scriptures. It's, okay, okay. Follow me for a moment. Because we're actually living in an era where people are starting to come to realize the limitations, in some sense, of doing a literal-only reading of the Bible. We've been doing it for about 200 years in the West, emphasizing that literal. Well, the first seven, 800 years of the church, there was an understanding of four ways of reading the Bible. One was literal. One was analogical, which means you find analogies in it. Third was tropological, which we'll talk about that one. And then the last was, you could say, anagogical or uh, eschatological, everything you read in light of heaven. Anyways, but the third one, tropological, some people like to see that as a moral reading of the stories of the Bible. What does, what moral does this story have to teach us? Well, also under the tropological reading could be understood today as what is a psychological reading of the Bible. So actually the early church for the centuries of the early church they would often do a reading of the bible that today's standard we would say oh that's a psychological reading because they're talking about um the emotions within someone they're talking about the passions and the desires and the hurts carrying or being carried in your soul so actually to talk about the bible in this quote-unquote psychological way of reading it is actually deeply traditional we've just forgotten to do it we've forgotten how to do it maybe we don't teach how to do it but the reality is a psychological reading of the bible is actually an ancient practice and you could say that's kind of what's being done when you do lectio divina which is a form of reflectively reading a bible passage multiple times over okay Let's wrap this up. So we talked about the dark night of the soul and, and some people felt as though it was being rebellious to talk about these things. We chatted through this difficulty of saying, why don't we talk about these things more? It's like, well, sometimes we don't talk about these things maybe because we feel as though there's a turf war. That's not really our territory. But you know what? There's nothing that says we can't work together with these other disciplines. We talked about how there's a tropological reading of the Bible, a quote-unquote psychological reading of the Bible that actually has been in the tradition for a very long time. But then here, my understanding is that the Christ is somehow present in every form of healing that happens. Bodily healing, emotional healing, psychological healing, all of these ways. And I actually wonder if the Christ is actually so humble as to not always needing, needing to be recognized as being part of the healing process. So for instance, let's say you know someone that really needs to go to therapy. Wonderful. Encourage them to go. Now, it might not seem as though the Christ is overtly present, but there's nothing to say 
that the Christ isn't present in that process just anonymously, secretly guiding it. And so really, I, I think actually like a properly oriented devotion to the Jesus path, full scale affirms every single type of healing and wholeness as being deeply Christian, as being deeply Christic. And we don't need to necessarily fall into this dualistic food fight. Who has, who can be claimed as uh, responsible for having brought about the healing? It Was it therapy or was it the gospel? It's like, shut up, because maybe they're actually overlapping more than we understand in a deeper way than we can understand. So all of this goes to say, give up the turf war. There's no threat towards seeking healing wherever healing might be found. Because what if the Christ is actually deeply present in every single way we go about healing? That means going to the store and getting vitamins. That means learning to put down the beer a little bit more often. Maybe it means going to family therapy. That's great. Maybe it means actually getting a surgery done that you need to. Maybe it means getting pharmacological solutions to a a chemical imbalance within you. It's all good because the Christ is deeply present in every form of healing, no matter how it comes about, no matter where it comes about. And so for me, anything that produces healing is deeply deeply spiritual in the positive sense. So let's finish, right? May you, the listener, come to see that the Christ is present in every form of healing. May you come to recognize that all of us need to confront our dragons because beneath those dragons is immeasurable gold. 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 And then, of course, may you be an agent of reconciliation of redemption, of renewal within yourself and with other and with other people. And so may we all be like little Christs to each other. Grace and peace, y'all. Have a lovely day.